we've been going through a series called Words to Live By. We've been talking about how words are important and the words that we choose as individuals to speak are really important. And we just saw a powerful example of that as parents and grandparents uh, spoke words, prayed words over their children, hoping that these words would form this child's life. And as we go through life, the words that we use with one another have a, have a huge impact on how we experience life. The words we hear from others have an Im- impact on how we're formed ourselves. But also the words that we choose to use as a faith community have a huge shape or have a huge role into how we are shaped as a community. And so we have going, been going through our values, these words uh, that we have chosen uh, to live by. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our next value, uh, and the values of risk-taking and the words that we choose are courage over comfort. Can everybody say that? Courage over comfort. We saw an example of that right now when Maren took the step of baptism. Uh, she took a step of courage. Uh, she said she'd been thinking about this for, for 13 years, or since she was 13, and she had all these excuses, but she took a step of courage uh, and chose courage over comfort. And we believe that following Jesus, that being led by his spirit is a journey. It's an adventure. Uh, and it's an adventure that leads us into uncomfortable places uh, because God doesn't call us to comfort. He calls us to be, uh, to be transformed and to change and to help change the world around us, to help partner with him to bring heaven to earth. Uh, and as we focus on this value, courage over comfort, I want to reflect just on a uh, short passage in Acts 21 uh, that I was reading a few months back in my own uh, devotional life. Uh, I, I usually spend some time in the Word and journaling in the morning, and I was, I was reading this uh, passage, and it says, Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So Paul was a disciple and apostle. Uh, when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. So Paul's about to go on a missionary journey. Uh, they felt through the spirit that Paul shouldn't go. And so they urged Paul not to go. And the story continues. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, we, the people, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem for a second time. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. And I found this passage fascinating because Paul was urged multiple times by the community through the Spirit. Because the Spirit was warning Paul. And we even have here this, this situation where a prophet hears from God about what is going to happen with Paul if he continues to go forward, that he's going to be bound, he's going to be imprisoned, he's going to die because of the decision he's about to make. And Paul hears this warning, and he's not ignoring the fact that this, uh, he doesn't say, oh, you didn't hear from God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't refute that. But what's interesting is that he hears what they said, and they interpret what God is trying to tell Paul in two different ways. And so the warning comes through 
God's people to Paul, and they understand that warning to mean, you know, something dangerous is, you're, you're, you're heading into this dangerous territory and something bad is going to happen, so you should stay. Paul hears what is being said to him, what might happen to him, what will happen to him, and he hears that not as a reason not to go, but as a reason to be prepared for what he's about to experience. You see the difference? And so they end up praying the Lord's will be done. And sometimes we say the safest place to be is in the will of God, uh, but that is not true. The most dangerous place to be is in the will of God. Uh, we, we see that through all the disciples that choose to follow Jesus, that they followed him into danger, into great risk, often at the cost of their own lives. And so Paul hears this warning, and he, he interprets it through this posture of risk-taking. He, he, he doesn't think that God's will is for him to be comfortable and to push away any sort of danger in his life. He understands to follow Jesus is to actually enter into a journey of risk. To have faith in Jesus is to trust him beyond the circumstances, even if those circumstances mean I might lose my own life. Paul's understanding of the will of God was different than the people that were trying to talk to Paul about the will of God. And Paul chose risk. And as a community, as a faith community, we want to be a community that doesn't choose comfort or default to comfort because this is the human default. Many followers of Jesus have gone before us and have chosen risk over comfort, have chosen courage over comfort because they believe that the will, the mission that God has for their life is even greater than their own comfort. Uh, Sun West was planted and founded, uh, I believe, with a posture of risk-taking. This is part of our DNA and part of who we are. And as we thought about how would we talk about, how would we talk about this value this morning, uh, we thought it might be a great morning to actually rewind the tape and go back in time uh, and talk about how this value has been lived out over the years. Uh, and so I'm going to invite Willie Reimer uh, to stage. Willie was the founding pastor at SunWest, and we're going to have a little chat about the history of SunWest. Why don't you give Willie a hand as he comes up here? So not only was Willie the founding pastor, Willie was my very first boss. Um, and we won't tell those stories, uh, but I'm sure there's a, there's a few of those that, that we could tell. Uh, so Willie, before we talk about the history, why don't, why don't we just talk about, just from a high level, your, uh, tell us a little bit about your, yourself, your family, uh, your just maybe most recent journey coming from BC to here, and uh, your whole family now being back together. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, uh, my wife, Gwen, and three boys, Joshua, Carter, and Matthew. And um, Carter is married to Sarah, two kids, uh, Peter and Dorothy, and number three on the way. Whoop, whoop. Uh, <laughs> love being grandparents. And Matt and Taylor, who attend here, and their son, Ben, and our oldest son, Josh, uh, just moved back to Calgary from Toronto two weeks ago. So we all started here as a family. We all left. And now it's, uh, we say it's Calgary 2.0. We're all back and excited to be back together as a family again. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's good to see Josh uh, last week. I hadn't seen him uh, in years. So uh, very cool. Okay, so let's rewind the tape. Let's go back in time. The year is what? Uh, well, we moved to Calgary in the summer of 94. 94. Uh, and you came to Calgary to plant 
a church. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about, let's even go back before that, what you were doing before you planted a church uh, and the call to come to Calgary to plant a church, how that all formed? Yeah, we were in California going to seminary and uh, two things happened there. Uh, one was while we're in school, I didn't know anything about church planting or starting churches when I went down there. It really wasn't a thing back then. Um, and, uh, but through my studies and we we're part of a mentoring group as students, uh, it just became increasingly clear that God's call in our lives was to start a church. And then in, I think it was fall of 93, one of the students was from Edmonton. He had served on our denominational uh, church planting uh, board or team. And he gave me a one-pager about that group's uh, desire to start a church in Calgary. And I read it, and it just resonated profoundly. Came home, gave it to Gwen, and she went, that's us. And so that just captured us. Now, the irony of that story is that uh, we called up that board and basically put an application, and they said, thanks, but no thanks, uh, because they wanted someone who had done this before. They didn't want a rookie. And we went, well, okay, but we still felt called to Calgary. I think we applied twice, and second time they said, thanks, but no thanks. And uh, so we had looked at starting a church in Halifax. We went out there, but said, no, this isn't it. And so we thought we were graduating seminary without a job, and we were actually going to just move to Calgary and see what happened. Uh, we knew we were also called back to Canada. We had some opportunities in the States, went, nope, we're called to Canada. We knew that very clearly. And uh, then right around graduation, they called again, I guess because they couldn't find anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll take a risk on these people. And um, so then we came to Calgary, and we knew when we landed, we went, this is it. Uh, and all I can say is the Spirit of God just made it so clear that this was the place. And then in driving through the city, we looked at the north, we looked at the south, and he made it very clear, it's the south. And I still remember clearly us standing on the, um, the ridge overlooked, just, uh, you know, when you go into Sokomi Lake, that ridge to the left, those parking lots. We were standing there praying while the board was meeting to decide. And just the Lord just said, this is it. And uh, it was just very, probably the, one of the easiest decisions we made. Is that right? In terms of clarity. And what, what was your family situation at that point? Uh, then our oldest two were uh, uh, three and a half and one and a half. Okay. What were, do you remember any of the fears that you have, that you had starting a new venture, no guarantee of the future, having young kids? Yeah, the, um, I always say people who start churches have more guts than brains. Um, you know, it's one of those, if I knew then what I know now, would I have done it? Um, we, we knew the denomination said, here's, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you several years of, of salary. So we knew our salary was okay. But once we got here, and it's like, okay, we're going to start work. Let's go start a church. We're like, what in the world are we going to do? And back then, like now, there's courses and training and, and mentoring and coaching, and, and there was none of those things. We had a, a, a um, course we had been to, and the guy in L.A. and the guy who instructed that course had a it was called the Church Planters Toolkit, which was a bunch of cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> What's a cassette? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, 
little thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, so we're like, it was, I think, eight of them. And we'd be going, what do we do? I don't know. Let's put in the next tape. <laughs> <laughs> and look, okay, I guess we'll go do that next. Uh, yeah, it was, once we started doing it, it was, God, what in the world are we doing? And even though our income was, was set for a couple of years, um, the actual challenges of how do we get a group of people together to start and we knew we needed some people who were Christians as a core who were going to pray with us and walk with us and, and do outreach with us. And then, of course, how do you reach uh, the non-Christians in the community who are interested in, in spiritually seeking? So, yeah, that was a lot of days I woke up and went, what was I thinking? Uh, there were lots of moments of anxiousness. One of the ironies of it, uh, two months after we got here, my nephew from Winnipeg, who was 18, going through difficult times, phoned us up and said, can I move in with you guys? And uh, uh, not a Christian kid, difficult circumstances. So I'd come home and from, from a day, and he'd go, so, you start a church today? <laughs> <laughs> that was his regular question. <laughs> Before we jump into maybe some of the stories from those early years, I know one of the burning questions people have when they show up here is what is Sun West? Like what, where did you, where did you even get that name from? You know, why not like Excite Church or the new cool church? Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not a church namer, obviously, but uh, <laughs> where did, where did the name come from? Yeah. You can tell when churches started by, by what they are named. Actually, there's a, if you're in that world, you can go, I know exactly what area you were named in. Um, but uh, yeah, we were trying to figure out a name for the church. We, um, uh, our offices were in the strip mall in Sundance at the time. And, you know, you have your major landmark, South Calgary. So you just call it South Calgary something. Do you call it Fish Creek something? Do you call it Sun something? And uh, so I'm going through names in my head. I'm driving down McLeod Trail, and I see a car in front of me with a West Beach sticker on it. And I went, oh, Sun West, that would work. And all of a sudden I started laughing because... When I was in, Sa- I used to live in Saskatoon, and I worked for a company called the SunWest Clothing Company, which was a men's store, but it had closed by this time. So I called the owner was a friend of mine, a Christian guy. So I called him up and I said, "Hey, Todd, are you okay if we use this name?" And it had closed under difficult circumstances with his personal life, and he said, "Yeah, go ahead and use it. Maybe you can redeem it because of his own difficult story." Uh-huh. And then we took that, we took the name SunWest, and we said, do we call it uh, SunWest Church, SunWest Community Church, SunWest Christian Fellowship? Uh, And I had a bunch of other names, and then I I took those six names and went to South Center Mall, and uh, and I did surveys in the mall. And I'd say, you know, something along, you know, do you attend church? And if they'd say yes, I'd say, thanks a lot, I don't want to talk to you. Uh. Um, And if they said no, I said, hey, I got a question for you. If you were going to go to church, is there one of these names that, that you would be more apt to attend if it's the first time? And they kept, kept picking Sun West. Hmm. And so that's how we settled on that. And it used to be Sun West Christian Fellowship. And, uh, uh, and that was because of talking to non-Christian na- uh, business neighbors in the strip mall. Hmm. But, of course, it always got abbreviated, abbreviated just to Sun West Church and... That's where it is today. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, tell us a little about the challenges in those early years when you were starting, maybe a couple of stories that describe those challenges. Yeah, it, um, you know, when you're, when you're uh, 
starting a church, on one hand, you have all the logistical reality. So, you know, where are you going to meet? Uh, we have to raise money for equipment. We had money for rent for the office and for uh, our income, uh, but uh, we didn't have any equipment. So we had to raise some money. We had to do all the logistical pieces. Where are we going to meet? What's that going to look like? Negotiating all those things, getting organized, etc. But your, mu- your much bigger challenges are the people pieces. And so you're drawing together and you're praying about, God, who are the people uh, that are going to be part of this core? And who are the people that you have actually prepared the way for who you are going to use us to introduce Jesus to? And um, uh, so often a lot of those challenges were around initiating conversations with people in whatever context and the great part about starting a church when you're a young family is you're always around other people because of school and sports and little kids and daycare and etc so to meeting meeting people wasn't hard um we met so many people uh you know calgary was growing a lot in the 90s and i'd have people call me up from another city and they'd say hey our friends moved to calgary you should call them and, uh, and so we'd met couple after couple for the first time when they came to our home for dinner uh, because we'd phone them and say, hey, someone told us that uh, you were new in town and we should get together, so come on over for dinner. And, uh, and then we'd talk about, you know, God's called us to this. And like I said, we need more guts than brains when you're starting things often. And we were so convinced and convicted about what we were doing, we would literally say things like, God's called us to do this. You can join us if you want to. You could waste your life doing something else. Because <laughs> um, there was a, you know, a bit of arrogance in there. Um, but, you know, that's the conviction we had about what God was calling us to do because we felt that he really wanted to do something in South Calgary. And um, one of the couples who helped us start the church, just how God works, were uh, Norman Pauline Duick, who live in Vancouver Island now. And um, they were living in Okotoks. They were part of an MB church in the north, Dalhousie. And so someone said, hey, they've moved down south. Maybe they would want to join you. We met with them. And uh, when I went to follow up with Norm, uh, we were over lunch. He said, well, you know, the church, they were part of a church, a new church startup in Okotoks. They left for holidays, came back, the church was closed <laughs> while they went on holidays. So he said, we don't want to be part of a new church with a new pastor who's never done it before. Because uh, who knows if they're going to be here next week. And I thought, okay, well, I'll do a wrap-up to say goodbye. <laughs> and, uh, and then at that lunch, he goes, so when are we starting? Excuse me? So when are we starting? And uh, Norm was our, uh, our stalwart administrator, great administrative gifts that carried us for probably a decade until uh, they moved away. And God kept bringing in people that... Um, uh, ended up being critical team members, leading critical pieces of ministry. Uh, uh, there were three people that came from, uh, or four people, five people that came from other MB churches, two couples and a single guy uh, that were just critical. And we started making, uh, started small groups basically in our home. And uh, from there, that would grow. We say, okay, we're going to train you, and then you guys go start a small group. You guys take, actually, you take this group and we'll go start another one. And we did that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And then we start pulling people together. And, of course, in that journey, some people would say, uh, yeah, no, this isn't for us. 
And when you're 10 people, 20 people, you know, every person that joins, you're excited. Every person that leaves, it's personal. And, um, and I used to always joke, you know, Matt, our youngest, was born the year we started the church that spring. So when people would say, how's it going? I said, well, we grew by 20% because we had a kid. Uh, you know, we went from four to five. Uh, so you yeah. can make statistics anything you want. Uh, so, so you guys were growing, and obviously there was some momentum building, and then you had to make a decision to, to scale that growth, and you made some hires. So tell us about some of those early hires. Um, yeah, a couple of things happened. The first, the summer in 1995, we said, okay, we need to get ready to uh, start services this year. So we've been working a year. So we did our first Stampede Breakfast, but no one in our core group as a church had ever been, ever been to a Stampede Breakfast because we were all new to Calgary. And so peop- some people from other churches helped us with that. But it was the first time that God did something that, that was immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And so we were asking about Stampede Breakfast. They said, well, it's a community thing. We did it in front of the, uh, the Sundance Strip Mall. Uh, we put out flyers with all the other merchants in the strip mall, so we kind of co-sponsored this thing. So we prepared for, I don't know, 1,000 or 1,200 people or something, and uh, 2,800 people. We fed 2,800 people. And we just went, oh, my goodness. God can do something that we couldn't even dream of. And that we advertised day camp, and we had a mission, a team of young people come from, uh, back then it was called MB Mission, now Multiply, who helped us uh, with that. We went door-to-door with the team from Power to Change to do surveys um, uh, in all of Sundance, uh, Shaughnessy, uh, Somerset, we, every home we went to. Um, and we did those kinds of things before the first uh, service to, to get uh, the lay of the land. And then um, two things happened staffing-wise. We had three people who there used to be, there was a program called Trek, uh, with MB Mission, and they would challenge young people who'd been just coming out of, out of Bible school to raise a year of support and go join a church plant. So three of them came and helped us that first year, and uh, one of them was Dan Bergen. Dan became our first worship guy, and of course, uh, he's doing round two of that, Calgary 2.0 for Dan too, and, uh, which was awesome. And then a year, two years in, we hired our first pastor. His name was Wayne Dreger, Wayne and Suzanne Dreger. Some of you may remember if been around a while and he came from a large church in uh, Fraser Valley and then our first uh, staff board meeting that he's at we said hey let's get a finance report so we get the numbers I think it was from Sherry Feenstra who was our first uh, bookkeeper back then because Sherry and Ron came about a month before we started our first services Uh, they moved up from uh, Lethbridge and uh, so we get the finance report and they say oh there's 35 in the bank and Wayne looks at me and he goes 35,000? 3500 No. $35? <laughs> yep. He goes home to his wife. He goes, we've made a big mistake. I said, Wayne, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. We never missed a paycheck. Never have missed a paycheck. And God was faithful in so many ways financially. And there were times in those early years, I can't remember if we did it once or twice, Sherry could probably tell us, um, where year over year we increased our budget 100%. And the question was, Lord, what are you asking us to do this year? Okay, let's write that down, best as we can discern it. Okay, what's that going to cost? 
write that down. And then we'd say, okay, Lord, is that resonant in our community and with what you want to do this coming year? And the sense was, yeah, we think it is. And uh, we met those budgets. And, uh, but it was always based on, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? It wasn't, let's just dream for dreaming's sake. But what does it mean to be obedient with our finances, with, our, with whatever initiatives we're doing? Mm-hmm. Are we being obedient? That was the ultimate question. Because as uh, we wanted to make it clear in how we did church that this was about God and what he was doing, not about us and what we were doing. Right. So there, in those years, we were... Um, I say we because I came uh, uh, 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, we were in the Mid-Sun Community Center. uh, And we were known as the Bagel Church uh, because we serve stale bagels every Sunday morning. Um, We're thinking about bringing that back. Uh, uh, And for being a portable church. And so we went from Mid-Sun, went to Centennial High School. We were in the movie theater till a few years back until we got this building. Um, can you talk a little bit about those portable years? Uh, was that intentional to be portable? Because that was a lot of work, doing setup, tear down through the snow, um, hauling trailers and bins, and um, it was sheer chaos. So why on earth did you d- do that? <laughs> um, well, initially it was... Uh, you don't have a choice because there are no buildings. We, d- we didn't own a building, so um, and uh, and so yeah. Mid Sun Community Center had just been built, and that opened up for us. Uh, our goal was not portability. Our goal was to be the people of God in this place, and He called us to this geographic location. Mm-hmm. And we said um, the goal is not portability, but the goal is also not to have a building because a building is just a tool. Now. Calgary was growing so quickly, and the way zoning works in Calgary, um, it's a very structured development plan in the city. always has been. So a developer does 1,000 acres. Five builders are part of that. And then uh, what they would do is they'd allot like two acres in an area for a church. Well, the economies of scale never work on the price of two acres, the size of building you can build, and the amount of people that can fit on that. You can't get enough revenue to make those numbers work. So most of those plots that were the two-acre plot ended up being a gas station or a strip mall or something else. And uh, so that was very difficult because you had to buy something so far ahead of time that it became incredibly challenging. And um, so our goal was always simply to say, okay, God, what does it mean to be faithful and we really felt called to, as much as possible to stay in the community. So you could go move way further out, but we really did not feel comfortable with that. Um, and we did look at some things, and we had what used to be called the SunWest Farm, working with our denomination. So that's whatever that road is to Dwinton, uh, that piece of property that we had thought maybe... Um, uh, we had another one closer in where that RV park is. We were about to do a deal there, and that got purchased kind of really quickly where Legacy is today. So we would have been in, the, in Legacy. Uh, but it was just always, God, what does it mean for us to do ministry? And buildings are tools, and since the building isn't happening, we're going to go portable. Now, it's interesting how things work because we grew. We outgrew the community center. At one time, we used the community center 
Um, we use the school across the street from that community center, across the cul-de-sac, and we use the school beside that. Mm-hmm. And when we moved to the high school, we were about to lose uh, the elementary school across from the community center where K-5 to was because they had uh, new needs, so they couldn't rent it out to us anymore. So the high school opened up just in time mm-hmm. before we got kicked out of there. And then the theater... Um, we were having trouble at the high school and we were getting kicked out of there. And the theater, we had asked them before and they said, no, 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 no. We're in the middle of a staff meeting and Jad and Debney, who was doing operations on our staff, felt the Lord say, out of an all-staff meeting, she said, I need to go talk to the people at the theater. So she gets up and leaves. And as she arrives at the theater, the owner uh, is walking out the door and it's a new uh, 50% owner who's a Christian guy, and uh, she says, hey, we're a church thinking about, you know, do, looking for, we need a place to meet. And he said, oh, we just had a staff meeting, and I was just praying about who should rent our place. Because hmm. yeah. it's a uh, private-owned theater, second-run movie. Yeah. And so that's how we ended up there. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was never the point. The point was to be God's people in this community. And where you meet's a tool. Yeah. And it has challenges and opportunities. So I want to come back to the building thing in a second. But before I ask that, we were portable doing that whole thing at the high school at the time. And uh, we had uh, some key leaders. We had resources. Uh, and instead of you know pooling those resources to do something better with where we were, uh, we made the decision to plant a campus and send resources away send some of our best people away. Um, and that was, you know, choosing discomfort. That was choosing to make things harder all the way around. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that decision to, to plant uh, Mackenzie Campus, which is now an independent church summit church, um, and why you guys chose that at the time? Yeah, we, a uh, couple of things. Well, being portable and being large gets extremely challenging. Um, is is one piece. But we also thought, uh, because we had a lot of people coming from the other side of the river, and our dream was to be a kingdom presence in multiple places in Calgary so that, uh, you know, you could, when you invited people to come to your church, uh, it was always someplace that was resident where they were. It weren't, we weren't saying, come drive across town, come drive across, you know, psychological barriers like the river or, or those things where we go. And Calgary is so oriented around communities. Like they try, you know, with community centers in each of the lake communities and so on, they try and make things resident as much as possible. So we felt called to do something east of uh, the river. Initially, we thought it was going to be in Mackenzie Town, but we could not get a place to meet there, so it ended up being in Lake Mackenzie. And uh, so our dream was always to be a place that gave away. People had sacrificed in, uh, so that we could exist. And we, I used to joke, we had a key to, I think, every church building in South Calgary at one point because we used it for training or band practice or something. So people were generous with us, and we felt we need to be generous. We also went, the larger you get, you concentrate leadership often, and fewer people are able to serve. And so we also wanted, we said, there's so many gifts sitting in the room here. We wanted to spread that out. And at, uh, at one time, we were, 
Uh, I think when we went to the high school before we did McKinney, we were like seven, eight hundred people, and trying to accommodate that in a setup and teardown world mm-hmm. uh, is challenging. And uh, and so we said we need to give away, and we need to make greater impact in the city, and that's not by drawing people in one place. That's by spreading out. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we invested in that. And, yeah, it was challenging. Um, I mean, we had some deep pools of leaders, deep pools of worship. And I remember, I still remember the Sunday after we started McKenzie, because Dan uh, led that charge. So he was our worship pastor. So our worship pastor went over there to lead that charge. So our worship pool, which was really deep, got cut in, I don't know, it wasn't half or what it was, uh, but we went from a, a really deep worship rotation uh, to bringing in a bunch of people who, who were brand new. And, uh, and it changed. Uh, it took a while for you know, them to be comfortable in leading worship and being part of worship. And eventually that all happened. Uh, kids ministry people, you know, just take all your areas of ministry and you cut your pool in half. Uh, so it was challenging. But we felt that's what God was asking us to do. Two questions left. Um, first one. So we are we got this building a few years back. Um, what and we know the point wasn't ever the building, and we've said that. Uh, but what do you see as the dangers of having a building and continuing to live a life of courage and risk? Yeah. The. Um, uh... I mean, so often, I mean, in all the language around church, right? We say we go to church, which is horrible theology, uh, right? Because church is a people, which is really clear when you're portable. Uh, because as soon as we did our cleanup, the building was just a community center or a school. Um, so to stay outward focused on the mission that God has called every one of us to, uh, we're all called to kingdom mission. And, and Jesus was so incredibly clear about that. Uh, one of, actually, one of our uh, guys coming to our church said to me one day, uh, this, now this, this was an interesting conversation. He said, Willie, I think people who make more than a certain amount of money won't come to a church like ours. That's an interesting statement. And he said, uh, I said, why? His name was Ed. He said, why? And uh, he said, he said, well, the reality is once we make a certain amount of money, money provides us options. So once you have, you have a certain amount of money, you can go on vacation, you can you know, get a second home, you can, you can do all kinds of stuff, and all those things take time and energy. Uh, we all know that. Um, but he said, when you're in a setup and tear down church and you walk in the door, uh, you just sit here 10 minutes and you look around and you go, obviously there's a lot of work to do here. So if I'm not doing the work, and it's obvious there's work, I start feeling uncomfortable if I'm not participating. He said, they're going to go to a church where they can walk in the door, sit down, take in whatever they're going to take in, and maybe serve somewhat, and then leave. I went, wow, I've never thought about that. So I think that one of the dangers in a building is that, Mm. is that we go to church, we take in what God has for us in coming to church, and then we leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than going, okay, God's actually sent me and called me on mission. 
as a missionary, no matter what it is that I do vocationally, the first thing we are called to is to be agents and, and uh, 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 communicators and proponents of the kingdom of God. And there is nothing greater we can do in our lives than that, regardless of what our vocation is. And yet our North American mindset is always build your vocation and then do good things on the side. That's not what God calls us to. And in fact, when we do that, we will end up often becoming disillusioned actually in the kingdom of God. Because, well, I'm not feeling fulfilled. Well, you're not feeling fulfilled because the first question of the day is not, God, what do you have for me to do today? Regardless of what I do as a vocation. Because God has you on a mission. That's what you're called to. For every one of us. And so if you are in the marketplace somewhere, you are there as a missionary. Whether that is vocally or not, that's not the point. The point is we are all kingdom people, and our identity is as kingdom people. And so the kingdom isn't, isn't at a building, right? It's in God's people. It's resident in us. Where we go, the kingdom of God goes, because the Holy Spirit's in us. And God's actually already been working there before we get there. So that's the beauty and wonder of being part of the kingdom of God. So the danger in the church is that we relegate kingdom stuff to the building right? rather than just using it as a tool and a launching pad. Yeah, that's good. All right, last question. I've had so many people ask me, okay, what's Willie doing now? And you've told me five times, and every time I'm like, uh, people ask me, I'm like, I don't really know. Uh, and so here's your 60-second here's your commercial uh, to tell us what is, what's the risk that Willie's taking today because you're not just sitting around. Uh, you're actually taking some risks right now. So what's the risk you're taking? Yeah. Um, the, so I'm, I'm executive director of something called 787 Collective, which stands for Psalm 78.7, which says that, uh, that each generation should have hope anew in God. Or sorry, that each generation would have hope anew in God, celebrate his miraculous works, and obey him. So that's our ultimate goal. We do that by catalyzing collective impact, which means we, collective impact is, is, uh, is working together to do things that God would have us do that we can only accomplish if we do it together. So we bring together ministry leaders in ministry sectors like youth ministry or church planting or church renewal. We bring together ministry leaders and marketplace leaders who want to invest together in collective impact for the Transformation Academy. So in August, I had 15 uh, prayer network leaders together from across Canada to say, okay, how do we we bring about a prayer movement across all of our different ministries for the transformation of Canada? Next month, uh, we have 15 business and uh, youth uh, uh, ministry leaders from across Canada coming together to say, there are 6.5 million kids aged 10 to 24 in Canada who do not have a relationship with Jesus. How do we reach them? And so it's not, how do we grow our ministry bigger by 10%? It's, how do we reach that 6.5 million? Mm. What would God have us do? Mm. And we have marketplace leaders who are interested in that, and we have ministry leaders interested in that. So my job is to bring them together and basically say, what's God asking you to do? And will you do it? And bringing the investors alongside to uh, support that. Awesome. 
Thanks, Willie. Okay, I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, we're going to stand with you, Willie. I'm going to ask if you can pray for us as we continue to embody a posture of risk-taking as a community. Um, yes, would you pray for sure. us? Yeah. Um, yeah, and just in doing that, I just want to say, um, you know, when we came here from seminary, uh, we knew we had to leave California because we are going to take a job. So we knew we were going somewhere. When I left SunWest to go work for our denomination, which was the most difficult decision we ever made, mm. uh, we did not want to leave SunWest. But we knew, short, long story short, it was for us to say no, what God call it, was calling us to would have been sin for us. Mm. Not for anybody else, but for us. Most difficult thing we ever did. And so being courageous is often filled with fear because you don't know what's coming. And it doesn't mean it's all going to work out. It, but it means you're answering the question, am I or are we being obedient through discernment with your family, with your friends, your small group, uh, your community, to what the Lord has called us to do? And if you're being obedient, you're successful mm-hmm. in God's eyes, period. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Father, I want to thank you so much for this community and for the privilege that Gwen and I and our boys had in being uh, part of this place in the early years and now part of it again uh, with a bunch of my family and how this place is family to us. Uh, we never had family, uh, extended family, uh, grandparents or cousins or anyone around. And that was part of the, the challenge of coming here, yet, and yet this place and these people became our family. And so it's so good to be back with family again. And so, Father, I pray for your spirit to pour out on this place and these people. I pray, Father, for each person who is here to know who they are in you, first of all, as a Christ follower. Because you call us personally, but you also call us corporately, and you call us into your family to live as family and to be sent on mission as family. And ultimately, uh, the expression of our identity is as missionaries, as sent people. And that is where joy comes from, because that is where those faithful days of risk, not for the sake of it, but simply in an act of obedience, just like Acts 21 that Matt read, showed us. Is that Paul walked forward in obedience, not because it was easy. You informed them of the difficulties that would come, but the joy of knowing that he was walking in obedience. And so, Father, you prepare us for the things that you have for us as we walk with you and that we do so in obedience. So, Father, I pray that we as a community would seek your face personally and corporately, corporately that we would follow you in obedience. And then we would celebrate what you are doing as you honor those faith steps for your glory and the transformation of our our lives, our communities, our city, our country, and our world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Willie. Can we thank Willie uh, for sharing? Um, Thank you for coming. Uh, We have prayer teams available at the front. If you want prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. We invite you back uh, next week as we continue our series. In two weeks, Willie is actually preaching, so everything he didn't get to say this morning, he'll say then. Uh, So have a great week. Uh, We'll see you later.